John chapter 11 says, Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then, after that, he said to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. So, <clears throat> we're introduced to one of the most remarkable chapters, certainly in the New Testament. The resurrection of Lazarus. It's a light in a dark place to all of us for lots of reasons. Our ultimate issue certainly is tied into the fact that he's going to call us from the grave. But here has been put before us, it's in this area of Bethany. And preserved, and for the last 2,000 years... Many Christian pilgrim has gone to Bethany looking at the things that transpired there, reminded of who he is. Mary's there, Martha's there, Lazarus is there, but the most remarkable personality in the middle of all of that certainly is our Savior. The first miracle he does is at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. It says it was there that he first manifested forth his glory. And this last miracle or sign, John says he's given a specific sign. This is the seventh to speak to us. And certainly it's the most remarkable, as it were. And it gives to us such great hope. This place in Bethany, Bethany's on the other side of the Mount of Olives, facing east. And uh, this seems to have been a place where Jesus quite often spent time in the home of these three. Bethany's been unearthed by the excavator. And the archaeologist, Bethany means house of figs. It also means house of affliction, which seems to fit our picture here. Two miles from Jerusalem. Today it's called El Azariah, the place of Lazarus. <clears throat> early church tradition tells us it was being visited as early as the 3rd century, 300 A.D., 
1813, an ossuary was discovered there that confirmed it with the names Mary, Martha, and Lazarus upon it. So there is this place. And it is a place, I believe, that the Holy Spirit would take our hearts to as we look at this Lazarus. And this is when we first meet him. We don't know much about him. His name is Eleazar in the Hebrew, which means one whom God helps. And how fitting that is in this situation. And I don't know if by the end of the chapter, Lazarus will be as happy that he was helped as we will be happy that he was helped. And he's sick. We're going to find that. Now, he's got two sisters coddling around him. The right thing. It tells us here, it was in Bethany, the town of Mary. And her sister was Martha. These two are very different. It's hard to believe that two people in the same house can have the same parents and be as different as these two were. You know that if you have kids. Luke (coughs) tells us this. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. So she's the host. She's probably then the oldest, usually named first. She had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bitter therefore that she helps me. She's so busy and so woven into her activity that she accuses Jesus of not caring that she has to do it alone. Interesting. She calls him Lord first and then complains. It's hard for you to imagine, I know. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful, torn in different directions, and troubled, you're agitated about many things. But one thing is needful. One thing is necessary. One thing is the duty relative to business. One thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. So these two girls, we hear that it is the town, the village of Mary, but it is the house of Martha. And you have both of these personalities in one house where Martha is busy. She's a doer. She's got her hands on things. She loves Jesus, calls him Lord, but she's working. And she thinks everybody should be cast in her mold, and she's just at it all the time. Mary who Martha thinks is a hippie in a space case, is sitting at Jesus' feet. And Jesus said she's chosen a better part because you can't overflow until the cup is full. You can't give properly until you've received. And Mary will be the one memorialized. We find Mary three times in the Gospels. 
First, we find her at that picture in the house sitting at the feet of Jesus. The second time we find Mary is here, chapter 11, verse 32, where she falls at the feet of Jesus. The third time we find her in John chapter 12, verse 3, she pours her ointment on the feet of Jesus and wipes his feet with her hair. All three times we find Mary. We find her at the feet of Jesus. John specifically says, now it's the Mary who poured the ointment on his feet and waved it, because he doesn't want us to be confused. There are at least six Marys in the New Testament. He says, just for your benefit, so you're not confused with this. And he's writing, reminiscing, he's remembering. The other two Gospels, Matthew and Mark, that tell us about that incident, both of those Gospels say a woman anointed his head, poured upon him, just a woman. But both of those Gospels say whatever, you know, wherever this Gospel is preached, what this woman has done will be a memorial unto her forever. And to prove that, here we are this morning sitting in the midst of that memorial, still real to us today. Now, Matthew and Mark no doubt didn't name her. Both of the they wrote before 70 A.D., and there was hostility against the church, there was hostility from the Romans, from the Jewish leaders. But John, 90 years old, 60 years after it happened, the others are all gone Reminiscing, he writes. And he's the one who tells us that he also poured the the ointment on his feet and wiped his feet then with her hair. And and I'm not surprised to hear that from John. We find John at the Last Supper leaning on the breast of Jesus. We find him identifying himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And no doubt in the the house of Simon the leper, when this feast took place, John was by his side at the table and saw Mary come and pour out her spikenard on his head and on his feet, wiped his feet with her hair. The scene that develops before us here is so human. You know, his name is Emmanuel, God with us. And I believe we find his skills sharpened. And I say sharpened because when he got here to earth, there wasn't anything that wasn't sharp. Uh, it's It's a failure of human language. But we find those skills, no doubt, forming where it says we have a high priest who can be touched with our infirmities because he was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin that we have a priest that can be touched it says with our feelings and those things rarely happen in the temple or on the sermon on the mount they happened at a wedding in cana of galilee where there was a bride and a groom there was human joy there were two sets of parents saying oh now we gotta be in-laws i guess there were siblings and friends and joy And again, that exercise of his heart. 
finds fulfillment in a house in Bethany where he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And no doubt as he had left Jerusalem, they wanted to kill him after the feast of Tabernacles and again after the feast of Hanukkah there of lights. On the way out of town, he must have stopped at that home in Bethany. It seemed to be a resource for him. It seemed to be a place of rest. It says he was despised and rejected of men, but not in Bethany. There was a home there where the door was open. There was a family there that loved him and the 12 guys he drug along with him. No doubt Martha, if she knew he was coming, was out buying olives and olive oil and hummus and shawarma and steak sandwiches, whatever they, you know. She was busy preparing, you know. And no doubt as Jesus was there, he told them, the reason I believe he stopped there, because when they send the messenger, they know where to send him. So he must have stopped at that house, how many days, we don't know, and fellowship there, and he said, I'm going to Bethabara. I'm just going to go take some time now. Too much hostility behind me in Jerusalem. But this is the place where I was baptized. This is the place where James and John began to follow me. This is the place where most of my disciples were baptized by John. This is a place of beginnings. I'm going to go there. 25 miles away. And he has stepped into the lives of these people for your benefit and my benefit. Look, two girls so far apart. Again, Martha, the workhorse, the busy bee. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just the way God made her. And there are some of you here this morning that are like that. And don't be hitting the person next to you. You know, some of you are just at it. You're just busy. God wired you that way. You go crazy if you have to. You hear, so you got to do it. You got to get hands on it. You got to fix it. You got to serve it. You got to do that. That's okay. But then there's another personality in the house that likes to sit at his feet. It seems a little more spaced out. Meditative. And these two personalities grate on each other in the same house, from the same parents, if you can believe that. Until this situation arises where their commonality outweighs their differences. And then the busy bee and the meditator are both caring for their brother, which brings them together. And I'm sure that Martha, though she is bathing and caring and trying to feed her brother, is also praying. And I'm sure that Mary, besides praying and reading scripture, is saying to Martha, what can I do to help? Something so powerful was happening in the home 
It was drawing these two women together. You know, like Peter and John, they were like Martha and Mary. They, they were so different. Like the twelve, so different. And for you and I, our commonality should always outweigh our differences. Too often we take those differences in, in the context of conflict instead of complementary. Because human nature is fallen and selfish, sinful thoughts dominate us. I'm just saying that for your benefit. I'm way past that. So these two girls, they're, they're brought in front of us, <clears throat> remarkable in their personalities. And then there's Lazarus, which in one sense we don't know anything about, in another sense we know so much about. This one, Eleazar, this one whom God helps. We know this. We know that both of these girls, so different, loved their brother. And when you got a brother that can be loved by both sisters, you got a good brother. Sometimes one sister can do that and the other sister can't. Both of these sisters love their brother. That's a commentary on the man. But more than that, they send the messenger to say, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Lord, the one you love. And they use the word filio there. Your good friend, your close friend, your human friend. How many times had he come to that home in Bethany and sat quietly? How many times had him and Lazarus spoken that we don't have on record? How many times does he feel welcome in our home with all of our differences? How many times could he sit in our home, around our family, and rest and enjoy? And in one sense, Lazarus, though we won't hear from him, in the final analysis we'll know more about Jesus than possibly than any man who ever lived. These three, they're brought before us. This home is put on the page. The messenger is sent. No doubt they know where to send him. And he comes and says, Lord, this is the message from the sisters. Notice that, Lord, he's their Lord. Behold, that's an imperative. You need to think about this. Lord, this is important, like he didn't know. Lord, you must think about this. He, <clears throat> he whom thou lovest, present tense, you're loving him right now, Lord, who you continue to love, is sick. There's two words in the New Testament for sick. This one is the idea of he's failing. He's waning. His strength is draining out of him. It's the word used for the crippled man in chapter 5, that he was impotent. He had no strength. And what they're saying, you know, you can imagine Lazarus <clears throat> got sick. 
Martha's saying, you look funny. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. You know, you're not, you're warm. You got a fever, you know, you need to get, you know, and set him down, made him some chicken soup and, you know, yelling at Mary for not doing anything. And they're taking care of, uh, of Lazarus. And then, you know, you need to get to bed, you know, and then, you know, bringing the doctor from Jerusalem forever. Every human effort is expended. And now he's faint. He, he, he's waning. He's fading. So many of us have, have sat by the bedside of loved ones and family and watched that process. Just fading, watching them go. And that's where these sisters are. They don't prescribe to Jesus what they think he needs to do. They don't say, get up here as fast as you can. Because they believe he just needs to know. Augustine, Augustine said, a friend just needs to know. The one, Lord, your friend who you're loving right now. He's waning. And look, <clears throat> this guy goes down and gives that message from Bethany, figure 2,400 feet above sea level, down to Bethbara, 1,200 foot below sea level. So you're going, you know, 3,500 foot downhill, and then you have to do that on the way back, which is a less fun and very hot hike, you know. So you can imagine he comes with this message. They've, they've just said, go and tell him this, say this to him. And when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. He doesn't say Lazarus will never die. The bummer is he's going to have to do it twice. He doesn't say Lazarus will never die. He says this particular illness, this sickness, is not going to issue forth in death. doesn't say he won't die. But the issue of this illness is not going to be death, which means that it has to be life. Where there is not death, there can only be life. There is nothing that lies between. The messenger evidently hears that. John hears it because he records it for us. So this messenger then heads back. And you can imagine Martha's, you know, on the roof. She's watching. I think I see him. But I can't be him. He's alone. You know, just and the guy comes and she must said, where is he? Where is he? What did he say? What's he doing? Why didn't he come? You know, the questions that, people, why, that you ask and I ask. Where are you? Why? You know, when, when some tragedy is in our life, when a relationship's falling apart, when the doctor tells us we have cancer, when we're betrayed and our hearts are broken, when our circumstances are contradicting the fact that Jesus says he loves us. These girls find no contradiction there. He whom thou lovest is sick. He's going. He's waning. They don't find a contradiction there. 
So often we do. So often we listen to parts of the church that teach that if you have faith, you never should be sick. So often when we're going through a difficult situation, we can find ourselves saying, Lord, what's the deal? I'm not preaching in the choir. I'm telling you about my experience. How often do I find myself saying, Lord, I preach about you every Sunday. Why is this going on in my life? Lord, I feel like you've kind of taken my heart out on a limb because I've embraced this and I say that I believe it. Where are you? Why does this hurt so bad? Why is this threatening me? Why is it hanging over my head? Where are you? I need you. Why aren't you showing up? Doesn't say he's not going to show up. He says this issue is for the glory of God. There's purpose in his not being there. Like the blind man in chapter 9, the disciples said, Who sinned, this man or his parents? And he said, No, neither one of those, but this is for the glory of God. You see, for him to manifest forth his glory in this chapter, he needs a corpse. He doesn't need a sick guy. He needs a corpse. And a smelly one. You know, he's, he's raised two people from the dead before that were, you know, fresh. You know, maybe you, somebody could think, well, you know, they paddled him or something. Not this one. After four days, you can paddle all day long. You ain't getting nothing. Right? And aren't you glad he waited? The girls are not. Are you glad he waited? We would not have had this record had he not waited. And isn't it to the glory of God in your life and my life that Jesus says one day he's going to use his voice and all that are dead in Christ are going to rise from the dead. Just like Lazarus. He's calling, and we will all be stunketh by then. But he's going, to, he's going to pull us back together. We're going to rise. We're going to rise. We're going to rise. And at that minute, that second, oh, let it be now, all of our differences will be minimized, will vaporize, because our commonality will be so great, even for Christians now. You know, Jesus said, all men will know you're my disciples by the love that you have one for another. Christians, again, from North Korea and Christians from South Korea. Christians from the great church in China and Christians from Taiwan. Christians from Ukraine and Christians from Russia. Christians from Iran and Christians from Israel. And I know this might be beyond your comprehension, but... Christians that are Democrats and Christians that are Republicans. <laughs> our commonality is supposed to outweigh our differences. And the differences in God's design are genius. They're not to be covered up or erased. They give glory to him. And then that our commonality outweighs all of those things, you know... Think of the division in America, you know, think of the political and racial and vaxxed and unvaxxed. I get tired of the whole thing. 
We're brothers and sisters, just like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And I pray that he's comfortable when he comes here. Out there, the world might be railing on him, but I think it's wonderful to think that he may come and just sit with us. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that he might be glorified. We don't know when the guy gets back. Is Lazarus already gone? We're not to have those details. Maybe not. We know by the time Jesus gets there, he is. He's already in the tomb. Again, the, the funeral would be the same day. They get him right into the crypt. Jesus knows what's going to happen, because a few verses down when he says to the disciples, Lazarus is sleeping. They say, well, Lord, that's great. If he's got a fever, he's got the flu, he needs to sleep. Jesus says, oy vey, Lazarus is dead. So he knew. He knew when it happened. He knew when to start his journey to Bethany. He waited till he knew, until the Father told him he was gone. Now, <clears throat> Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Changes words. The sisters say, You love our brother. Filio, the one you're friends with. You come, you guys sit and laugh together and eat together and look into each other's eyes. And Lazarus, our brother, the one that you love, that you're fond of, that you have fellowship with, he's sick. Now it changes and says that Jesus agape. It's imperfect. He came to love and continue to love divinely. Martha her sister, and Lazarus. There was divine love at work, though there was tragedy on the front page. Something was happening, and the Lord knew probably every time he came to this home, he knew one day this is going to happen here. It wasn't hidden from him. It wasn't hidden from him. Now, Jesus loved and still loves today, continued in perfect tense. By the way, this home in Bethany opened up to Jesus, caused it to be opened up to you and I today. And how many Christians through the centuries, when someone was dying or someone was sick or someone was martyred, and it didn't seem constant with the love of God is seen incongruous. How many times have Christian pilgrims gone to Bethany because these folks opened their home? He loved them with a divine love as he loves us. When he prays in John 17, he says, Father, that the world may know that you love them as thou hast loved me. That's, that's, we'll get there, unless the rapture happens. Hopefully we'll, we'll get to the real version of that. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, John puts it, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. 
He says, when he heard he was waning, he was failing. Therefore, because he heard that, he deliberately waited two more days before he went in that direction. So there's no lack of God's love in delay. There is, and, and it's hard for us to understand, divine procrastination. You and I have only one category for it because we ain't divine. And when you live around procrastinators, it drives you crazy. Martha saw Mary as a procrastinator instead of working. You look it up in the dictionary, it says procrastination is to delay either uh, unnecessarily or deliberately. And divine procrastination differs greatly from human procrastination. It's not marked with a sinful nature. So it's different in our lives. He waits. Isaiah 30 verse 18 says, so he can show himself strong on our behalf. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. They're above our ways. As high as the heaven is above the earth. And we are very, I am, very engaged in the horizontal and, and wonderful things. But he's very engaged in this scene and now in the vertical. So when he procrastinates, it's vastly different than when you and I do. He's delaying here. It has nothing to do with his love. He's delaying here. It has nothing to do with the glory of God. The glory of God's going to be magnified. He's delaying here, not because he doesn't care, because he does care about Martha and about Mary and about Lazarus and about you and I. Because he wants everyone here, including me, to see. If your heart is broken today, if you feel the Lord's abandoned you. If you're going through something so painful, you'd be saying, what's the deal, Lord? Where are you? What's the deal? Why should I follow you? He wants us to understand that when he delays... There is no lack of love. There is no lack of purpose. And there is no shadowing of the glory of God in that process. Easy to say. Easy to look at in scripture. But in the grist mill of emotion and life. It has to be our hearts taking hold of these things. When he had heard, therefore, that he was, a, he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was, whatever he finished doing there, whatever he was involved in. Then after that, he said to his disciples, let us go again into Judea. Even for these girls, things were going from bad to worse. 
Jesus waits till he's dead when he says, let's go to Judea, because he tells them he's, he's, he's gone. He's asleep. He doesn't say he's dead, he's asleep because he's going to wake him back up again when he gets there. So the girls, away from him, have gone through the process of doing everything human po- humanly possible, watching things go from bad to worse to hopeless. They've watched their brother take his last breath. And when Jesus knows the circumstance has gone that far, he says, let's go. And no doubt with this many people, there are many here this morning that have gone from bad to worse. You've already realized I'm never going to say it can't get any worse again. Too hopeless. And John would say that has nothing to do with his love because the greatest and final expression of his love is that he so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life the greatest expression of unchanging and unfailing love is that he laid on him the iniquity of us all. The greatest expression of his love to us was to hear his own dear son cry, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And still to restrain himself. The greatest expression of his love was that he made him the propitiation for our sins, the place where his wrath was satisfied. And it was. No more. To come on us at any point. We will never have to cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We may be doing it now, like Mary and Martha. We may be thinking now, Lord, where are you? Why don't you get here? But we will never, in the final analysis, have to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So these three, four, including Jesus, are brought before us here. The cast is set out. Then the crisis will come. And the table is set for us then to realize as we step into this, there's such humanness I mean, it, it's just amazing, you know, that he, 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 he goes to a wedding and there he engages with his heart, he's with human beings. That, that he finds a house in Bethany more welcoming than the temple and the religious Jews. He finds two sisters and a brother where he goes with his disciples where they sit and they laugh and they refresh and they fellowship. Any Lord Jesus, do that in my home. Not because of me, but in spite of me. Be all that you are. Not because of anything I do, but because of what you do. Because, Lord Jesus, I've griped enough. Where are you? What's the deal? How could this be happening? And you open a home with real human beings, with real tragedy, 
with real care in Bethany to say to us, my delay has nothing to do with a lack of love on my part. Amen? Let's stand. Let's pray together. Lord, we do pray particularly, all of us, for the most broken person in this room, the most broken people in this room, Lord. We pray for those right now who might be asking, where is he? Why is he letting this happen? How could this happen in my life? I told so many about his love, and I feel forsaken, and I feel angry at God. Lord, be with them, because we know we will all stand in that place at different places stages in life, Lord. Lord, we pray for everyone here, the lessons of this chapter would speak to our hearts, Lord. For every one of us, let our homes, Lord, be more a place where you're welcome, where, Lord, you could actually come and sit down and find rest and fellowship and laughter, Lord. And we pray you take these things, Lord, only you can do that. Lord. Only you can take them off the page and make them reality in our hearts and lives. Lord Jesus, please do that, we pray in your name and for your glory. Amen.